Hello and welcome to the Safety Goals Podcast with Justin Torres and Charlie One presented by Injure Free. This is episode nine with Jay Kimmel. Justin, Jay is an amazing individual and a, a strong partner for us here at Injure Free. Um, but he's someone who's revolutionizing the telemedicine space and really trying to scale access to our qualified medical professionals in youth sports uh, using telemedicine. I'm really excited about today's episode to talk about where the future of sports medicine is headed and how we get more athletic trainers on the fields. Exactly right, Charlie. I'm excited as well. I think with COVID being a huge part of our lives and telemedicine being one of the benefits that were coming out of that, Jay really dives in deep about how telehealth is still working for him and what they do at Upswing Health and how that works what we do here at Injury Free. So I'm excited to keep talking with him. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Okay, we are here with Jay Kimmel of Upswing Health. And Jay, it is a pleasure to have you on. I think for me, whenever I do these episodes, I'm researching our guests for, you know, about a week in advance. And it's almost like meeting, you know, a celebrity when you finally get to talk to them. It's like, oh, cool. I've done all this knowledge, seen you on TV interviews, uh, read articles. So it is a pleasure to have you here. I know me and Charlie are extremely excited. Um, so the first thing I like to do is just kind of get into your background for those who don't know. Um, yeah, went to Cornell. You've gone to uh, University of Rochester for your residencies and even Columbia and Temple University as well. So you've got some pretty uh, cool places that you've been. So if you could just kind of give us a little bit of uh, your background, where you grew up and how you realized that you kind of wanted to be involved in the sports slash medicine uh, side of the world. Well, sure. Well, first of all, it's great to be here. Um, I always enjoy talking with uh, Charlie and talking about uh, uh, these topics. So I uh, I uh, went to Cornell undergrad and then, uh, as you mentioned, uh, University of Rochester uh, Medical School. And I, uh, I always knew that I wanted to be a, a physician. I wasn't really sure that I wanted to be a, a surgeon until I got to medical school, but then I decided I really wanted to be a surgeon. And once I made that decision, there was really no other choice but orthopedics. Orthopedics is a, is a great field, and I'm a former uh, college athlete. I played tennis, and I'm still playing tennis, and uh, got a couple of kids that are uh, athletes, so um, athletics is very dear to my heart. So uh, the opportunity to do orthopedics and then uh, sports medicine was just, uh, you know, a great op uh, opportunity. And I, I feel blessed to be able to have done that with my career. And was there, like you said, you weren't 100% sure that surgery was what you wanted to go into. Can you remember if there was a moment that really was like the, oh, okay, this is what I want to do. This is really cool to me. Yeah, you know, like a lot of people, um, especially when you're a, a young uh, a person who's uh, interested in medicine or in residency, I met a, a surgeon who was uh, just a wonderful teacher and, and uh, mentor and uh, really uh, turned me on to, uh, to surgery. And then very fortunate at the University of Rochester to have um, a great orthopedics uh, department where I was able to work with those guys. And um, I just knew that I wanted to do sports medicine and was fortunate enough to be able to go to Columbia, then Temple for my sports medicine fellowship and had the opportunity to take care of uh, college and professional teams um, uh, in training. And then uh, since I've been out in practice, uh, taking care of high school and college and some professional athletes and a lot of weekend warriors. Jay, we find out that a, a lot of former athletes end up in the field of medicine, uh, a lot of athletic trainers and doctors, and especially orthopedic surgeons. Did playing tennis um, or being a collegiate athlete, I should say, uh, have any influence in that direction for you as well? 
Yeah, I think um, uh, it certainly did. Uh, having the opportunity, sports were really important uh, my entire life, um, and I was lucky enough to to be able to play tennis and uh, play at a competitive uh, level. And uh, I actually didn't get hurt uh, playing tennis. I was very lucky uh, during my career, but. Uh, like many, I did have uh, exposure when I was young to an orthopedic doctor. I uh, didn't have to have surgery, but I broke both my arm once and then I broke my leg uh, later. So I learned what orthopedics was like at a very uh, young age. And so, Jay, after graduating, you worked for the University of Connecticut uh, in their School of Medicine as the clinical assistant professor. And you did that uh, from the last 28 years till now. Um, and then in 2000, you jumped over to oversee all of orthopedics in that entire department, not just the family side of it. Was there something that you were drawn to about orthopedics in particular versus another area um, of, you know, being a physician? Well, orthopedics is a great field because, you know, uh, and we'll talk about this in reference to upswing. A lot of times, if you just give people some good advice and give them some uh uh, some self-help programs. A lot of times they'll get better and uh, uh, on their own. But the other really cool thing about orthopedics in the last 20, 30 years, right, is that um, we have gone from doing big operations with big incisions to doing almost everything uh, arthroscopically. And I watched that during my career. It's kind of uh, great what we've been able to do. People used to have their shoulders operated on um, and spend a week in the hospital, you know, and have all these big incisions and pain medicines and things. And now it's all done um, as outpatient surgery with little incisions and very little uh, pain medicine. So orthopedics is a, uh, is a, is really a great field and it's uh, continuing to, to, to get better. I think you were asking about the University of Connecticut. So I was uh, also very fortunate uh, during my career to be a, um, a professor in the Department of Orthopedics, where I taught uh, orthopedic uh, residence uh, surgery, but also um, in the Department of Family Medicine, uh, where I'm the site director for orthopedics. So I get an opportunity to teach the uh, the family medicine uh, residents, those that you know you guys have as family docs, uh, uh, teach them uh, orthopedics in the in the clinical setting. One of our uh, previous episodes is with Dr. Cindy Chang, who also started her career in family medicine. Um, and that was a, you know, it's a, it, it, eye opening for me, I think, from um, a layperson's perspective in the medical community, but really a, a generalist, somebody who is, you know, focused on the body and healing what may be wrong at the time or preventing, but also um, approaching the family life. Uh, the stress, the, uh, you know, those types of issues that play a role as well. So really a complete and a holistic approach towards uh, medicine and care, not just for athletes, but for anybody in that field, uh, which is fascinating. Yeah, well, I think that's true. You know, um, there's some fields and, and some subspecialties, orthopedics, that are more surgical than others. Uh, but sports medicine is not one of those, right? Sports medicine, you're taking care of uh, uh, athletes and you have to take into account the psychosocial aspects of it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is non-operative. Um, a lot of it is, uh, is just helping people get better and getting back on the, uh, on the field without surgery. So, um, that is also, um, you know, appealing uh, to me as a, as a, uh, physician. Cindy also brought up that term psychosocial, which was I, the first time I think I had ever heard it. 
um, which I, it's just fascinating um, and also a, a really intricate part because because nowadays we hear so much about uh, mental health being such an issue, especially in our athlete communities um, and post-injury as well is, you know, um, for, especially for athletes as they're injured, um, being away from their teams, not being able to do what they love. It can be a, a huge impact on not just themselves mentally, but also during the recovery time as well. Absolutely. Um, you have to, if you're going to deal with athletes, if you're going to do sports medicine, whether you're a surgeon or not, you really have to uh, be tuned into that. Um, you know, athletes are just a different breed. Um, there are people that I see who might not be athletic and it doesn't matter when they recover, but when you're dealing with an athlete, particularly a uh, high school or college athlete, right, they have such a set period of time that they can participate and uh, so it's really important to uh, to look at the whole person and not just uh, one particular um, uh, injury. Jay, that brings up a good question for me, because, look, I I've suffered, you know, broken bones before in sports. It happens. It's unfortunate, but it is a part of why we play the game, because it is fun to be, you know, a little extra physical at times. Um, but I know that for one thing, whenever I broke a bone was that. I was able to adhere to the recovery stuff. You put my arm in a cast. I weigh it out the time. But once the cast comes off, that itch to play and get back on the field or on the court starts to creep up really, really quickly. Do you have any recommendations or things that you've seen in your experience that you would give advice for to an athlete to say, hey, I know you want to get back, but if you do this, it could really you know, hurt your chances of letting that injury heal correctly or getting back at the right time frame? Yeah, I think it is an important question, you know, for, for all athletes, but I think what is really important and what I think sports medicine uh, docs understand perhaps better than uh, folks that are not uh, in tune to that is that when you are injured, um, there's still so much that you can do without uh, sacrificing the possibility of injuring yourself more. So for example, if you have a shoulder injury and, and you need to rest your shoulder, you can't be throwing baseballs. Um, that doesn't mean you can't run. It doesn't mean you can't do core things. It doesn't mean you can't, uh, you know, stay in good shape. And I, I think what works very well for athletes is when you sit down with them and you say, okay, while you can't be running right now because you just had an operation, that doesn't mean that you can't do some core things. Here's some great upper uh, extremity uh, exercises you can do. And I, and I think most athletes, uh, when given that opportunity uh, to cross train like that, especially if they're trying to protect themselves from another injury, are pretty receptive to it. Not all, but 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 many are. That's that education that comes into play. Uh, it's such a huge part for athletes, you know, to Justin's point. Um, you're, you're do one thing and then you take that one thing away. Um, and then as soon as the, you know, the leash comes off, so to speak, or the collar comes off, you know, we, we want to run, uh, but uh, there is an educational component of it. And that, I think that's, you know, and for any athlete who's ever been injured, um, I've heard it over and over again, uh, there, you spend so much time with that medical staff that's around you, those people that you trust on. And um, these types of wisdom nuggets are uh, so impactful, but then there's a curiosity to that as well. There's a, a deeper understanding of the human body. How do I make myself perform at post-injury, but even if I'm not injured, a lot of the techniques that we saw in the rehab have now become what we call prehab uh, to a point where they're preventative in some aspects. I mean, that's a fascinating topic to, for you to kind of elaborate on is, 
you know, how, how are some of the, the views or the science of medicine that it's involved around orthopedics um, and just some of the soft tissue injuries? Um, how has that evolved and, and kind of where do you see things moving next in, in that regard? Well, I think that's a really important point. And, and I was fortunate enough to actually see it during my career, right? Um, when I was in training, we were just starting to understand. We looked around and said, you know what? Uh, young women hurt their knees. They, they tear their ACLs uh, at a much higher frequency, it seems like, than, than, than boys. Like, you know, why is that? And people started to uh, look into it um, on a uh, on a research basis, and um, as a result of that work and understanding why it is that women tend to tear their uh, knees up, and particularly their ACLs, more than guys, there were all these programs created to try to help, uh, particularly young women, uh, avoid that injury, which is you know a very devastating injury for a high school or college athlete. So there's an example where um, you know we we saw something out in the world, we studied it, we figured it out, and then we came up with really good plans. And um, nowadays, uh, a lot of the work on those exercises, those plyometrics, those protective exercises are incorporated into what a lot of high school and college teams, uh, particularly if they have, if they're women's teams, um, do uh, as part of their, um, uh, their workouts. Yeah, yeah. Sports are in full swing 24-7, which means athletes are bound to get injured. Injure-Free is a software platform used by youth sports organizations and schools that was developed to help coaches, parents, and administrators communicate injuries that occur and ensure a safe return to play. These sports safety networks are essential for sports teams working to provide the safest possible environment for their families. For more information or to schedule a demo, please visit www.injurefree.com. That's www.injurefree.com. That's fascinating. So, I mean, I get, you know, in your, when you look at the scope and how things have come and where they've developed and, you know, where they're going, um, you know, it seems as if, though, a lot of these transitions become uh, impactful to our smaller circles. When we have this idea, this idea, you know, you, you talk about research, research comes out, we put out a finding and, and often that's where great ideas go to die because it's how do we implement those? How do we, you know, bring that finding to the masses other than the people who read the, you know, business medicine, um, you know, uh, how, how do we get those large scale uh, implementations and really affect, affect the change that ultimately the altruism that comes through being in medicine and dedicating your life to that field? Um, maybe talk a little bit about your time as an orthopedic surgeon, and then ultimately, you know, how, how have you changed your approach to reach more folks? Well, I think that's a, an important uh, point that you bring up. And um, getting back for a second to those um, to those athletes that are injured, particularly at the high school or college uh, level, a lot of them nowadays do have access to athletic trainers, and athletic trainers are the ones that you know, help them when they're when they're first hurt in terms of their diagnosis and giving some general medical advice. But they're also the ones that work with the athletes um, when they're injured, giving them uh, you know rehab programs, giving them ways to stay in shape. And you know, we just didn't have 
when I first started training 30 or 40 years ago. So um, athletic trainers are really a key part of uh, athletes, particularly the high school, college, and professional level getting, uh, getting better. Um, I also think that there's an emphasis now uh, on sports, you know, even when, when, when the kids are young, in terms of training, when, when I played uh, uh, college tennis, uh, we did not ever see a weight room. We, I, I don't think I knew what a weight room was, right? And now um, my girls, you know, one of whom was a tennis player, another a field hockey player, when they were in college playing, they, they, they were in the weight room. So these are just things that have changed uh, over time, over the, uh, the years that have been uh, really uh, important for athletes. Doesn't mean that they don't get hurt, they still get hurt. Um, but they're in overall much better shape as a result of the knowledge we have now. The, one of the things I think that um, is interesting that I don't know if everybody understands is the relationship between a doctor and an athletic trainer. And we talked about scaling your impact as an individual. You have this wealth of knowledge. Maybe explain a little bit about how athletic trainers work with you or with a, a particular doctor and how that can amplify that individual's reach. Sure. Well, um, you know, as an orthopedist, um, we do go out um, and uh, work and cover games, uh, whether they be hockey or football games, but we can't be at uh, the schools all the time. So we rely very, very much on athletic trainers, certainly at the college level. And, and if the high school is fortunate enough to have athletic trainers, and at least here in Connecticut, um, there's almost always a, a really uh, good working relationship between the athletic trainers and the uh, orthopedists so that if a, a young athlete gets hurt, the athletic trainer uh, obviously can talk to the athlete, um, their parents, but then a lot of times they'll text the doctor. So they'll, they'll text, we can talk about it um, in real time about what to do. And then, um, you know, when the athletes uh, have to come to the office, if they are hurt or they need some imaging studies, um, then many times uh, we can see the athlete, but then we'll talk with the athletic trainer uh, afterwards about, you know, what to do. So um, it's really nice to have that communication. And I'm fortunate, at least where I practice, to have that uh, ability, both with the high school and the college and uh, professional trainers. And Jay, I think, you know, communication, especially in most things in life, but especially health is super, super key. And I think let's kind of segue into Upswing Health, which you founded in late 2017. Uh, you've been the president ever since uh, for the last six years, but in the last four months, you've actually taken up the role of CEO. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really just want you to kind of tell our listeners a little bit about what Upswing Health is and how it does allow you to increase communication and expand your outreach and be in more places at once than really a human body is capable of doing. Well, and I would add to that, um, you know, one of the main uh, reasons that my partner, Dr. Schutzer, and I founded this was to improve access for uh, everyone. It started with athletes um, uh, that are near and dear to me, but as we moved on, uh, we realized that um, we could help many people who perhaps were not athletic, but our um, our first group was was athletes at the um, high school and college and recreational uh, level. But what Upswing does is it improves their access to to, to care um, uh, for any type of orthopedic injury. And the way that we do that is 
Um, we do it by duplicating the doctor-patient relationship. So if, if you, Justin, hurt your shoulder and you called me on the phone, I'd ask you a series of questions, right? And then we'd come up, up with some different possibilities that it could be. We talk about what to do and we, you know, we give you some advice and a program. Well, it's not practical for everybody to call me. Uh, so what we did is we invented some uh, algorithms that duplicate that experience. So um, you come to Upswing and uh, we have technology that will uh, ask you a series of questions about your injury, anywhere from your neck all the way down to your toes. And then it'll give you some possibilities, um, give you some possible conditions. And you can read about it and you can do some self-help programs uh, as well. But um, what's really important about Upswing is that it's not just technology, it's the, it's the human touch. Uh, we very much believe in uh, the importance of talking to somebody when you're hurt, at the moment that you're hurt. And who better to do that than athletic trainers? So our first point of contact are those athletic trainers. So if you uh, come to Upswing, you can uh, use the symptom assessment tool, figure out what's wrong, but you can also talk to an athletic trainer within 15 minutes and they'll give you um, really good advice uh, you know, what to do right away. Maybe it does sound kind of bad, like you do need to go to the ER, or maybe it really doesn't sound that bad. You can rest and ice and uh, maybe see a physician in the morning. Um, but at the same time, we also have those physicians to back up the trainers. And if you need to speak to a physician right away, uh, we can set up an appointment for you to see a, uh, an orthopedic specialist uh, for a, uh, a telehealth uh, visit as well. And telehealth has been something that um, historically, I think a lot of folks felt that it was going to be majorly impactful. And I think you hit on it that um, folks want to talk to a live person. They, 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 especially in those moments of either their child being injured or I don't feel well, that's the comfort that they get, uh, you know, by human to human contact. Um, but then COVID hit, we weren't allowed to have contact. And we saw telemedicine kind of take an upswing, pun intended. Um, and we've, you know, we've seen some some lag on there too. Now people are still utilizing telemedicine. It was a, it was a, a an understanding, a point where people said, hey, you know, this is a lot easier uh, for the colds, the sniffles, not when my bone is broken necessarily. Sometimes it is, um, but in those situations, you know, um, we've seen a little bit more people, folks engaging with that. What have you noticed from a trend around telemedicine? you know, pre-COVID, during COVID, and, and now as an extended beyond, what are, you, what are some of the stats showing you guys now? So pre-COVID, there really was not much in the way of telemedicine at all. Um, mm -hmm. We certainly talked on the phone to folks, but there wasn't telemedicine. Of course, during COVID, um, we used telemedicine almost exclusively. Post-COVID, um, we're, of course, not using telemedicine as much. A lot of people, uh, you know, like to come to the office. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who got used to that uh, quick access, staying at home, talking to their doctors, and like to do that. And for many fields in um, in medicine, telemedicine is uh, you know really a, a godsend. And almost all what we call service lines, almost all different specialties of medicine, are going to have a virtual first option option. If they don't have it now, they're certainly going to have it in the next three to five years because mm. people are asking for it. Um, you know, people maybe that are my age and older might 
figure it's okay to go to a doctor's office, take a half a day off from work, you know, sit there for an hour, wait for a 15 minute appointment. And, and, and you know what, younger people are just not going to do that. They're, they're just not. Everybody um, believes that, that access is important and access on your own terms is important. And telemedicine really meets that need. Now, there are certain things you can't do, you know, with telemedicine. There is something that can be said for putting your hands on someone. Certainly, sometimes people need uh, uh, imaging studies. But for a lot of problems, uh, especially at that first point of contact, telemedicine is really great. Not many youth sports administrators began their careers with the dream of negotiating insurance rates. Most have the love and passion for the game and saw it as a way to inspire the next generation of youth athletes. However, nowadays insurance can be the single greatest cost for a youth sports organization. At American Sports Insurance Services, we've done the work for you and created the single most comprehensive youth sports insurance program on the market. We did it by aggregating the largest youth sports injury database in the world. Let us do the heavy lifting and represent you for all your risk management needs. For more information or to get a quote, visit www.getamsys.com. That's www.getamsys.com. Yeah, and I mean, Jay, obviously they had a ton of businesses have to result to going online during the pandemic that not many businesses did what you guys and upswing did you guys actually decided to make your guys's platform completely free of charge during the pandemic and i was wondering did you guys see that result in a spike of users for you guys at all on the side of upswing you know i think it did um uh we made that decision um it was the right thing to do. People couldn't get into their, their doctors, so we provided that information. And we now have uh, over 2,000 people a day uh, finding us, coming to our site, using our conditions. And I think as a result of all of that, um, if you, uh, we have about 150 of the most common orthopedic conditions um, on our website. 65 of them are actually on the first Google page now, and uh, 25 are in the top five and 10 are number one. So um, the way that we wrote it, uh, I think really lent itself to uh, people using this information. And uh, as a result, um, now when people Google these problems, um, Upswing shows up uh, and gives them that information. I just I know that you said that telehealth obviously isn't used as much post pandemic, but did you see that telehealth was more or less accepted by people and is not as looked at with a negative connotation as it was possibly pre-pandemic? Yeah, I'm not even sure if it was necessarily negative or just people didn't know about it. it. Um, the, <laughs> I remember during the pandemic, you know, we in, in our brick and mortar practice, uh, we were really worried that the older people wouldn't be able to figure out Zoom and the technology. It turned out they were great. They were completely fine. Uh, so any hesitancy uh, about people not being able to use technology, now, of course, there are people that, that can't, but a large majority of people that you would not have expected to be able to do it were able to do it. And of course, the kids you know, are, are completely uh, uh, fluent with it. So um, I, I think that there's a general acceptance of it. Um, and I do think that it, and all the studies say that it's here to stay. And particularly 
if you think about it for the group, you know, the young athletes, the group that, that, that Charlie and his team uh, work with, we're not just talking about the kid who has to get to the doctor's office, right? You're talking about the parent who's got to take the time off from work, who's got to take the kid out of school, get him to the doctor's office, you know, wait there for an hour for the appointment. A lot of that can be done with telehealth. And uh, as people uh, do that more and more, people are going to demand it more and more. And that's what we're finding. It's the, it's the same as if, you know, it's a, a human doctor or not even a human doctor, I should say more of a in-person uh, you know, consultation. Uh, there's a trust factor that needs to be developed. And folks need to feel comfortable with the process so that they feel as if the information that they're getting is accurate and, you know, valuable in some sense. And so it's almost as if you, if, if for some reason people aren't familiar with it or everybody knows what telemedicine is for the most part, but they just don't utilize it to some degree, um, taking those first steps, as you mentioned, you know, engaging with folks, getting them there, offering your services at no cost and that economic hardship uh, the, during that time of economic economic hardship, um, those are all uh, examples of let's dip our toe in the water and see if see how we like it. Um, and I think that's a, a great approach, especially when we talk about the younger populations. We work with so many parents who are uh, first time sports parents, and they're not quite sure. You know, they they find themselves scratching their heads. What did I sign myself up for here? But that's where you know they they are unfamiliar, especially when that first injury comes along. Um, that can be scary for, for, for parents. Um, and you know, you want to have someone you trust. And so I think that natural reaction is to go to my pediatrician, whereas it may not be the best first move. Um, what would, what would your, what's your opinion or what's your advice for those, those types of folks who, you know, how do I, as I know nothing about injuries, maybe I didn't even play sports myself, but my kids signed up for soccer and they come home and they have this pain in their knee, they're 10 years old. How do you, uh, what advice would you give them to assess and enter the healthcare system in a way that's timely and accurate from an outcomes perspective? Well, I think if, um, if children have a pediatrician that they have a good relationship with, then of course, it's always helpful to start with a, a pediatrician. But um, there are times, right, when your child is hurt Maybe you're at a, a game, you're at a, a tournament far away, or it's the weekend, and you don't have access to the pediatrician. So, um, you know, what would a high school athlete do in that situation? The high school athlete would talk to their athletic trainer. So what Upswing does, you know, in combination uh, with, um, with Injury Free, is it can provide the opportunity for everybody to when they have a question, talk to an athletic trainer. I mean, how great is that really when you when you think about it? And that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to uh, get everyone the opportunity to talk to an athletic trainer similar to how a high school or college athlete would, uh, would be able to do it. But certainly um, there's nothing wrong with starting with a pediatrician if there are times that you can see the pediatrician. But um, the other problem, right, is that particularly uh, in youth sports, but even in high school, the seasons are so short, right? That if you wait three months to get in to see somebody, the season's right. half over, right? So you need that information if you're a youth athlete, you need it now, you know? And that, and that information might be, hey, you know what? You can't play for three or four weeks and then it doesn't matter. But if it's something where um, you can, uh, you don't want to wait three weeks to get in to see somebody to, to get that information uh, while you're sitting out. Yeah, and that's and that's great. I mean, you know, 
just to back that up with a few statistics that we we share here is that we've got you know roughly 45 million kids in the U.S. playing sports every year, and in that 45 million, eight million of them are playing high school sports. Um, of the eight million that are playing in high school sports, about half have access to an athletic trainer. So when you take you know, do all the math and, and you you run those numbers, we're talking about 40 million kids a year who do not have access to an athletic trainer, or in some you know. M- majorly, uh, you know, minor way. I mean, they have a, you know, a limited access in some fashion. Um, so I think that, you know, from a, uh, you know, scalability uh, discussion, right, this is a way for folks who are away from their pediatrician or they don't want to wait two weeks to, to get into the office at best, um, to speak with somebody who is knowledgeable, um, to give them advice on how to uh, handle the situation, and then even further, even triage to some degree, speaking with uh, the right medical professional, if it is an orthopedic surgeon, who is that right person that we need to get them into? And even more so, if I'm away, I mean, you made a great point. So often we actually have the the U.S. youth soccer uh, regional tournaments are going on right now. And so there are families that have left their home state. They are, you know, in a neighboring state in some you know, way, shape or form. Uh, and they're there all week. They're there all weekend. Um, their child gets hurt. And they're not quite sure what they do at that point. Now they're in a hotel room with a kid in a bag of ice. Um, those are the moments that I think uh, we're we're hoping to alleviate some of those concerns and and certainly, like you said, provide and scale the resources of athletic trainers and medical professionals in a way that's easy and accessible uh, for those families. Um, so that's you know I, I think that on a high level, I mean the the altruism around access to healthcare is really where upswing is focused um, in a bigger fashion because it is. Uh, a major issue here in the United States is just, and, and quite frankly, around the world for the most part, um, you know, how, how do I get into access for care when I need it in these acute situations? Um, what are your thoughts on on just the larger picture uh, of healthcare in the U.S. and, you know, how, how can we improve some of these longer outcomes that we're dealing with? Well, that's a, that's a conversation, I'm sure, for another couple of hours on podcasts. But- right. But focusing in specifically for athletes, as you mentioned, one of the main issues is we don't have enough athletic trainers. It doesn't matter where you are in the country. We just do not have enough athletic trainers. And it is horrible that only, you know, half of the high school kids have access to athletic trainers. So one of the things we want to try to do is try to uh, improve upon that, make uh, athletic training uh, be a career that more uh, young men and women want to go into. We need more athletic trainers. They do a great job, and we definitely do. In terms of you know uh, access to healthcare in our country, uh, we just need to do so much better. But um, while we can't solve that for uh, all of healthcare, we're trying to solve that uh, in orthopedics by using technology to help people and giving them self-help programs. And then those people that really need to go to the doctor go to the doctor. Um, I do want to make one other comment, which I think is important um, about what you said and, and what Upswing uh, uh, combined with Intrafruity can do. A lot of times when you're away from home in particular um, and you don't know what to do, what what do you do? You wind up going to an urgent care or an ER. And many times that is necessary. Look, you can't walk on your leg you know, you, you need to go. You're, you, 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 uh, there are so many reasons you need to go, but there are a lot of reasons you don't need to go. Uh, for example, um, we see many times when people will 
finish, a, let's say, a basketball game or a soccer game. They finish the game um, and their ankle's a little sore um, and uh, they don't know what to do. So if you don't know what to do and you don't know if you can play tomorrow, um, you, you go to the ER. And uh, in many parts of this country, you can sit waiting for six, eight, ten hours uh, um, and then you get an, an x-ray. Um, and then oftentimes you're given some uh, information like you have to stay out uh, of play for three weeks until right. there's a pediatrician, right? Right, uh, yeah. And that's really not good. It, as it turns out, um, if you finish the soccer game and your ankle's a little sore, um, you really don't need to go to the emergency room. Um, a good athletic trainer would help you by telling you to, to, to use rice, to, to, to elevate, to ice, to, to rest. Um, but if you can walk on it, um, uh, but it's a little sore, you don't need to get an x-ray in the emergency room that night. You can clearly wait till the next day or even uh, later if you're feeling better. So that's just another example where um, too much in our country, uh, there's just too many people that are forced to go to ERs and urgent care centers for their care when they don't need to. And, and that's the most expensive, least value way to get care. Yeah, it's the it's the outcomes. I think that you make a great point there is the specialists and the people who are designed to deal with these types of injuries or, or trained, I should say, um, you know, like an athletic trainer or an orthopedist, um, they are going to be more informed on the appropriate um, recovery techniques and giving that advice. And, and I, I, you know, you're, you're so right. I mean, coming out of the ER, it's yeah, no, you don't play anymore for at least two more weeks. Right. And just some kind of blanket statement approach towards it. Um, when it really is an individual type of nature. And often, you know, you hear the whole uh, situation around uh, injuries. If, it, if, if you play on it, will it get worse? You know, can I further this injury, like a really bad bruise um, or something along those lines? And, and that's where I think the specialty approach towards athletic trainers and with orthopedists is that they have a, a deeper understanding of the, the risks that are involved, but as well as um, getting the kids back um, and getting those athletes back to where they want to be, because that is such a huge stressor when you're away, especially if it's towards the end of a season and, and there's you know playoffs and championships, my team's relying on me and you're asking me to sit out for three weeks and the season's over, right? You know, it's like that kind of approach. Um, so that's fascinating. And I, and I love that, you know, uh, addendum there. And then also um, gets into what we first started talking about, right? Which is oftentimes when you go to a center like an ER urgent care, you are going to get a note that says out of play for three weeks. And then what does that mean? If you injure your ankle, does that mean you can't do some upper body lifting? You can't do some core stuff. You know, a lot of times those are interpreted, you know, very strictly that you mm -hmm. can't do anything. And that's probably the worst thing for an athlete, both physically and, and psychosocially. So um, the option of, you know, talking to a trainer and then maybe a sports medicine specialist um, immediately, uh, it, it, it can be really uh, helpful. And again, I don't want to say on the podcast here that nobody should go to the ER. Of course, you need to go to the ER. Um, right. Care. But um, it, it is really a fraction of the folks that do wind up uh, uh, in an ER after a soccer tournament on a Saturday night for eight hours. A lot of those folks don't need to be there if they had some good advice. Hi, my name is Charlie Wand and I'm the CEO and founder of the Agency for Student Health Research. When I started the company over a decade ago, I aimed to help reduce injuries within youth sports. Since then, 
Injure-Free was created as a risk management software platform and has grown to become one of the leading injury reporting platforms used by thousands of athletic organizations and schools nationwide. Our expansive education library and reporting technology provides the tools administrators need to take the pain out of risk management. As a former high school athletic director and youth sports organizer, I understand the regulatory compliance requirements and need for individual accountability. Our goal is to provide a service that does better than checking the box. For more information or to schedule a demo, please visit www.injurefree.com. That's www.injurefree.com. Jay, you brought up a good point that, you know, look, not every injury requires you to go to the ER. Some do. Um, I think the ones that do require you to go to the ER more often than not are pretty visible to see. It's either a really badly broken bone, you're in a tremendous amount of pain and no, you know, over-the-counter medicine could solve it. But for you at Upswing Health, part of your guys' system is essentially, you know, you have a diagram of human body and it says point to where it hurts similar to how you would in an actual doctor's office um and one thing that i want to know is are there any injuries that you've seen in your you know long career of it can't just be a point to where it is that certain injuries really do need to be an in-person evaluation because some of them are just too tough to diagnose over the computer or over a zoom call oh for sure um um we don't pretend to be able to diagnose uh, everything. And it turns out when we studied our uh, present version of our symptom assessment tool, it's about 70, 75% accurate, meaning that um, in a study of 500 uh, patients, that one of the diagnoses the symptom assessment tool came up with about 75% of the time is what the doctor thought it was as well. We can get that up a little bit to 80 or maybe 85. We can't get it to 100 because there are times that um, you just really need to, to, to touch the patient. There are times you need an x-ray or even an MRI. But if you can put people on the right path, you know, 80, 85% of the time, then um, and that's pretty good. And if you talk to, um, and I have uh, talked to uh, very well-respected um uh, sports medicine physicians like, say, Dr. Andrews down there in uh, Birmingham or Russ Warren, the, the doctor um, for the Giants in New York. Um, we've presented this work uh, to them, and they they feel that they can get the diagnosis by talking to somebody 85 or 90% of the time. So um, particularly if you're an experienced orthopedist, you ask the right questions, um, not all the time, but a lot of times you can get the right answers. That's and that's fascinating too, because you know not just and you mentioned the Giants from a football perspective, but we also see now the the spotters uh, that are coming into the pro sports and specifically around concussions. But the trained eye is able to actually watch a play, a and, and identify a mechanism mechanism of injury that can really help narrow down a lot of those potential outcomes, especially around orthopedics. Um, is that something that you're hearing more and seeing more as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, that gets to the importance perhaps of having a uh, athletic trainer uh, at the field, or if not, then right. virtually uh, uh, being there because um, it, it really does help to, to see the injury. And what happens 
in my practice now, which is also different than 20 years ago, everybody comes in with a film of their injury, you know, their, their dad, oh, wow. uh, their dad videotaped it or their friend videotaped it. So, and then, you know, once you see that, particularly when it comes to knee injuries and you can see the mechanism of the injury, uh, it does make it a lot easier. Uh, but also that's where the communication with athletic trainer comes in, right? As an athletic trainer calls me up, says, you know, a young woman was running down the field. It was a non-contact injury. Um, her knee uh, uh, swelled up right away. You kind of know that what that is, even without having to to, to see the young woman. So um, that mechanism of injury and, and eyeballing that is really important. And I guess for me, one thing I really like to ask a lot of our guests is, you know, is there anything that you've learned just in your life that you, before starting Upswing, have been able to take, whether it's from prior jobs, life experiences, and apply to how you guys run and manage and practice at Upswing? Well, I've been in medicine now for over 30 uh, years, so it, it's been a while. I've seen, you know, the good and the bad and tried to take all the, the good and uh, apply it to upswing. And in particular, um, what bothers me is that uh, certain populations really don't have access to, to care. Um, so I practice in Connecticut here, and there are some schools where they have, um, you know, two athletic trainers, right? And then mm -hmm. you have some of the inner city schools, and they don't have any athletic trainers. So what do they do? Uh, they wind up going to the ER for for everything. So it really does bother me that we do not have equal access to to care and to the extent that upswing can kind of democratize that so that more people will have the same type of access to care that uh, other communities have is is really important to me and something that that uh, you know both myself and my co-founder feel strongly about. Not just uh, healthcare uh, equality, but healthcare healthcare equity as well. You know, having a a level playing field to uh, address these types of issues. I mean, you you talk about the the cost increase alone from those ER visits, less about the outcomes, less about the care, but just the cost. And if we had an athletic trainer, I mean, those athletic trainers are saving parents tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars every year collectively. And from going to these you know, to the ER and being able to treat those things, and it is such an important piece. But again, we don't have uh, enough athletic trainers in this country, right? I mean, we just said forty million kids right now are don't have access to an athletic trainer, and there's no way. I mean, I think, I think the last time I saw the NATA statistics, I think there was about twenty five thousand athletic trainers um, in the uh, secondary schools market, uh, or in the, in the in the U.S. and um, and that's just not enough. I mean, there, there's no way they can be out there for all of these games that are going on. And we love our sports. I mean, you know, youth sports is, I think the last projection I just saw recently is it's going to be a $60 billion market in about 10 years. And it's crazy, you know, that, that, that the size of, of what we've got going on here in the U.S. from a, an industry standpoint, we can't keep up almost. So telemedicine has to play a role. Um, and I, I remember when we were first talking about our partnership and really looking at how do we scale the access for the athletic trainers using telemedicine? One of my biggest concerns was, well, how are athletic trainers going to see this? How are they going to view it? Is this a, a supplement? Um, but turns out, I mean, I've spoken with a number of, of folks and a lot of people within the athletic training societies at the state level who say, no, 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 no. Yes, that's the way to go. We have to start using telemedicine because one athletic trainer now can watch three to four games. 
you know, uh, at a time, whereas we just can't do that on an individual basis. So it's, it's fascinating to see this evolution, um, not, not only of youth sports, but also of, of medicine and, and sports medicine uh, as we're keeping up with it. Um, where do you see it going? I mean, where do, where, what's the next step in this evolution um, you know, beyond telemedicine? What do you hope to see in the future? Well, I think you also hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, it, it's that youth sports and sports in our country are growing exponentially, right? So you have more and more kids that are playing and uh, for better or worse, that does lead to more and more injuries. And we also um, understand the, uh, the risk and, and the importance of having, you know, high quality care at the moment that you're injured, um, you know, particularly with concussion. I mean, there's an area where uh, Athletic Training Society, the Pediatri uh, Pediatrician Society, Sports Medicine Society have all worked together to make the world uh, safer. Um, you know, uh, I go back to a time where when I first started uh, training um, and covering games, um, kids would get hit on the head and the coach was, would say, oh, he just got his bell rung, just put him back in, you know, and that does not happen anymore uh, at all, at least uh, here in uh, Connecticut. And I mean, I think that's a tribute to all the work that's been done in research, understanding this, uh, but then also um, what all the different societies have have taught everyone. And I don't see it from the coaches anymore and even the parents. Uh, I think everyone has a healthy respect uh, for uh, for being careful and, and not for, uh, you know, winning at all costs and, and making sure that the kids are are safe. And uh, to the extent that having more athletic trainers out there will help with that, I think that's very, very important. Yeah, I, I was having a conversation. I think it was on our last podcast with Skip, actually, Justin, when we talked about the safety first moniker. And it was kind of a question of, well, where did that go? And then Skip's response was, I don't think it was ever there. <laughs> you know, new sports <laughs> yeah. was always about rub some dirt on it, get back in there. And that's what it was, you know, that's what we've grown up with. Um, but we are seeing this renaissance or, a, you know, a development of that mentality around compliance, around safety before we even get on the field, but also now post-injury, how do we handle it? Um, it's one of those situations that I always feel it's it's happening. It never happens fast enough. And it's, you know, there's we, we've got to change a mentality around it, which takes forever. Um, and in the meantime, you know, the, the, we've got kids who are like, to your point, don't have access to healthcare, going to the emergency room, you know, don't have visibility to an athletic trainer. Um, how, you know, how do we solve these problems? And I think that's where that's one of the things I love about our relationship so much is that there is a, a shared vision uh, for creating change, positive change that ultimately reduces the, that burden and, uh, you know, creates a safer playing environment for these kids. Um, and, and benefits the families as well and the organizations, quite frankly. You know, the more kids you have that have positive experiences that are out on the field, um, you know, playing, um, the better their the health of their bottom line. If we've got to get to a financial standpoint, which is all too often the case. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a win-win for everybody taking care of the kids. And there's no, no doubt uh, that that's the way to go. It's just how do we do it faster? How can we scale? Um, and I see, you know, definitely telemedicine as a, a next step in that play. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention too, that I, I don't want to completely let cat out of the bag, but um, I love our project around the virtual athletic trainers and the, you know, you mentioned the video, which I think is fascinating, um, but maybe just, you know, a high level kind of your thoughts on what we're trying to accomplish there together and, 
and um, how you see that impact. You know, what can we accomplish to, uh, when it comes to virtual through a, a streaming video sense? Well, I think we can all agree that in the best possible world, there would be enough athletic trainers that all the uh, youth uh, games would be covered. Um, and yep. you didn't Amen. Probably, but what we had talked about is that there are times now um, where uh, games are canceled because you don't have an athletic trainer and it's deemed that it's not safe for the kids to play. So this mismatch between a lot of kids playing uh, sports and more and more and less and less athletic trainers is leading not only to uh, potential safety risks, but games getting canceled. You know, nobody yeah. wants his parents don't want that. So one of the ways that we can work together, I think, to help to solve that um, would be to have uh, virtual athletic trainers. So athletic trainers that were not actually on the field, but watching the game in a two-way communication with the uh, with the refs and the and the coaches and eventually the kids and parents um, to uh, to help them give them that that uh, general medical advice and that quick access uh, to that. Uh, question, what do I do? Uh, which is the question that almost everybody has when they're hurt. Yeah, and, it, and it, it mirrors the professional ranks now, where we have a trained medical professional sitting in an elevated position watching a game, who is not on the field, who is not administering care, but can spot and say, hey, that child or that athlete needs to be looked at. Um, and there's somebody there who can handle those types of, uh, you know, those those directions. Um, so it is, you know, mirroring what we're seeing at professional level, but scaling and using technology to do that, which is innovative in so many ways. There's one thing, too, I, I didn't even mention, Jay, I don't know, I uh, can't remember if it came up, but recently we were talking to one of our insurance carrier partners, and uh, they actually mentioned that there was a claim that came in in one of their states where the carrier was actually requesting video of the injury. And it was this, you know, aha moment now full circle because insurance has played such a big role in healthcare um, that it's really now the future um, is that we will expect to see and have this level of insight and access, which I think, you know, cross your fingers, we could solve a lot of problems and actually reduce the care, if not the financial burden uh, being placed on the families. But that would not be the day where we had uh, cameras everywhere and enough uh, athletic trainers to man those positions. Uh, that would be that would be a, a great day for for everybody in U Sports. That'd be terrific. And and don't forget, but, but, um, I do want to put in a little bit of a, a plug for injury free. I mean, you don't you don't get to this ability to um, to uh, to make things safer unless you have the database to know um, what the problem is. And you know, kudos to you and your whole team for for developing that database so that we know now clearly. Um, that there are better ways to do things and that there are certain injury patterns that, that we can help with and, and, and all the things that, uh, that you now uh, have recorded. So I think that's great. Yeah, and one of my favorite quotes is that which can be measured can be improved. Right, that's right. <laughs> well, Jay, we always love to, uh, as we wind down uh, on our podcast, we always like to ask them some, uh, always a, a stumper. We, I think we've stumped just about every one of our uh, podcast attendees but we always all try to ask and say, if you could snap your finger right now, what would you change around the world around sports safety? What impact and what change would you like to see? But overnight, you know, create some some type of improvement in the space. What is that thing that you think uh, would be broadly beneficial? Uh, and I, and I am going to curtail that for you. You can't cheat and use what we just discussed as the answer. Oh, <laughs> I had my answer, Charlie. I mean, right, right, right. We were feeding it to you. 
if I had my way, um, everyone in the country who has a cell phone would have access to uh, upswing and their own personal athletic trainer. I love it. Just as good. That's beautiful. Notice I didn't say access necessarily to me or a physician, but just the their own athletic trainer. I think they would make, the world would be a better place. I put pocket, you know, a, po a doctor in your pocket, you know, a personal concierge. I mean, I, 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 we're not too far off. I think someone's going to get there eventually. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, Jay, we want to thank you once again for coming on, taking the time out of your day to speak with us. We had an awesome conversation with you. Again, we're so excited for what you guys are doing at Upswing. We know it's going to continue to trend on the upwards. And uh, we hope you have a great rest of your day. And thank you for joining us. We would like to thank you all for listening to today's episode of the Safety Goals Podcast, presented by Injury. I'm your host, Justin Torres, and a big thanks to our special guest. And also, thanks to my co-host, Charlie One. To listen to other episodes of the Safety Goals Podcast, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.